Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 75 of the Benzo Free Podcast. I I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas holiday and are looking forward to the new year. I, I think most of us are. It's, it's been a tough year. That may be the understatement of the year. <laughs> and, and, you know, doubly so if you're dealing with benzo withdrawal. It's been pretty quiet around here this past week. In fact, I don't think I, I left the house except for, you know, walks with bear and stuff around the neighborhood and some exercise um, since Christmas. I do need to do some grocery shopping pretty soon, so I'll probably do that once this podcast is released, or before, if <laughs> I guess if I get hungry. But overall, we're, we're doing pretty well. I've been busy with the new YouTube channel and a lot of work on the website lately. Always more than I planned. It always takes longer than expected. But it keeps me busy which keeps Dee's brain <laughs> out of trouble for the most part. I'm going to keep this intro short today for we have a lot of content to share and I do want to get to it. But before I do, I wanted to let you know, which um, some of you probably have already realized, that this podcast episode is being recorded in an audio-only format. There's no video content at all, even for the file we uploaded to YouTube. I will post this episode to YouTube, but it will have a graphic slate, as I've done with the archived episodes. All the content will just be audio. The primary reason for this change is kind of to get back to the roots of the podcast. Re recording an audio only is, I don't know, more intimate for me, I think. And, and I feel more connected to each of you when I am in the studio just with my voice. Re recording and video took me away from that, I think, to some degree, at least temporarily. Um, so I'm going to backpedal just a bit and go back and try what was working before. Now, now our brand new Benzo Free YouTube channel, which you can check out via our link in the show notes if you haven't already, will still have some video content including an upcoming roundtable, which, yes, is still in development, but I promise is coming very soon. But the monthly podcast, I think, is going to remain audio only for now because I just think that's where it belongs. As for our Easing Anxiety channel, it's not going to change, and we will continue to produce video content to help people who struggle with anxiety there. Now, there are a couple other benefits to this change. One it's actually easier to produce an audio-only podcast than one in video, too. In some ways, that was twice the work. And another is that 
audio quality is hopefully better. Recording and video does lower the quality of the podcast slightly, and although most people I realize won't notice it, I did. And the quality of the sound is important, I believe, to what we do. So, that's the update. We'll see how it goes. And if this was a bad idea, which, <laughs> as we all know, some of my ideas are more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> but if we find that out, we'll, we'll change it again, and we'll adjust. That's our only announcement for our intro. I don't really have a lot more to say here, and I do want to keep this short, as I said, because we have a lot to cover. Please check out the new Benzo Free YouTube channel. Check out our existing Amazing Anxiety YouTube channel. Subscribe to both if you're interested in that content. And visit our website when you have a chance. Updates have been made to all three of those in just the last month. So stop by and see what we've been doing. Today our format will include our introduction, which you just heard, our mailbag, Benzo Story, Feature, and Moment of Peace. Our feature today is on our symptoms, understanding them, defining them, and knowing what a symptom of withdrawal is and what it isn't. So stick around for that one. And of course, before we move on, don't forget we'd love to hear from you. Comment on our videos on YouTube or on our podcast posts or via our feedback form on our website at easinganxiety.com. And while you're there, perhaps you might want to subscribe to our mailing list or even donate to support what we do. Trust me, every little bit does help. And remember, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Now let's move on to our mailbag. Today we have one comment to share in our mailbag. This is from someone who goes by the handle, not me. This comment was in response to episode number 10 of the podcast when I reposted it on YouTube a month ago. This episode was titled, Insights on Withdrawal, A Conversation with Elizabeth McCarthy. Not me wrote, When my anxiety hits hard, everyone and everything I perceive as a threat to my well-being. And I unwind alone. Then when my mind becomes more rational, I review my action, and I can see where I overreacted. And if I have to, make amends to others who were there at the time. My doctor reduced my clonazepam down to a quarter milligram per day. I feel like I have permanent nerve damage. I, I pray that I will eventually heal from this. I have to stop listening to the lies and focus on truth, love, peace. I needed to hear this message of hope. Thanks again for all that you do. Well, thank you so much for that comment and insight. I've spoken many times about the fear of withdrawal and how our irrational, emotional minds can overtake us, pushing all rational thought to the side and leaving us with nothing but fear. In fact, I wrote a whole chapter in my book on managing the fear of withdrawal. This comment is a perfect example of what I was talking about. When we are extremely anxious, as many of us are in benzo withdrawal, we see the world as a terrifying place. We see everything as a threat, and we can become paranoid. 
even places and people who are typically safe or are normally our allies, suddenly become enemies in our own minds. Taking time to unwind is wise. If you can, it is best to excuse yourself from a situation even before any damage is done to a relationship. But if that cannot be helped, then you can reconcile later, as was mentioned here. Finding a way to discern the lies from the truth is hard, but it can be done. Many of us have done it, and I still work on it to this day. The good news is that this is not permanent. Many of us, myself included, have been there and have now healed into a new mindset, one a bit calmer and definitely more rational. But it doesn't necessarily come without work. I focus a lot on anxiety tools because I believe that it is one of the primary areas where we can make a difference and can positively affect our withdrawal experience. Anxiety and fear affect every aspect of withdrawal, often making our symptoms even worse. Thus, easing that anxiety improves everything. Ashton spoke about a learning deficit in her manual. She was talking about the fact that these drugs have helped us for years, helped us cope with our anxiety. And once we withdraw, we find not only that we have an altered nervous system, but that we are also out of practice de dealing with anxiety. Anxiety coping skills are lacking or even absent at this point, and we need to redevelop those so we can move on. It, it, it takes work, but trust me, the work is worth it. I created Easing Anxiety because I saw this lack of anxiety skills in so many people, and I wanted to help others develop skills as I have done during my experience. You know, you know, Elizabeth McCarthy's interview was our first on the podcast over a year ago, and still one of the best. She is a therapist, a benzo survivor, and an advisor to Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. You might want to go back and check that one out. I put a link on the podcast post and the YouTube version in our show notes. Well, that closes out our mailbag for today. Thanks to everyone for sending in questions and comments, and we will cover a lot more of them soon in an upcoming podcast. Please send in your feedback in the comments or on the feedback form at easinganxiety.com feedback. Now, let's move on to our Benzo story. Today's story is from Jody in Miami, Oklahoma. This is a pretty long one. But, but it's one I believe needs to be shared. You know, it's also a very hard story to hear. And I do believe I need to put a trigger warning here for our audience. If stories of withdrawal and suffering are a trigger for you, you'll probably want to skip this story. Remember, you can jump to the next section via the chapter list in the show notes. Okay, enough of that. Let's hear from Jody. My story. I am a single mom to two boys. This has affected my life so much. It's so hard just to get through the day, let alone be the mom they need me to be. It all started in March 
of 2020. I was having terrible problems with my asthma that led me to the doctor and a prescription for steroids. I was given a large amount of steroids and inhalers because I couldn't get over the asthma flare-up. The large dose of steroids gave me awful acid reflux and caused my throat to tighten to the point I couldn't swallow food. It was very uncomfortable and led me to the ER. That trip to the ER forever changed my life. I was given Ativan, a benzodiazepine. I knew nothing about it, but was told it would calm me down. They saw that I had been treated with Zoloft for depression and anxiety and just assumed it to be that. They helped me sleep like I hadn't slept in a while because of the uncomfortable feeling from the lump and tightness in my throat. My doctor ended up prescribing me more, and I was on one milligram a day for a month, just before bed to sleep, until I could get in to see a GI specialist. She said they can be addictive if used long-term, but I never was addicted to pills, and certainly didn't use them more than prescribed, so I assumed this wouldn't be an issue. I realize now there's a huge difference between addiction and dependence. The specialist didn't find anything wrong besides an issue with my esophagus for which he said there was nothing I could do. I was then going to another specialist because that GI doctor never did a biopsy and she thought he should have. Anyway, while waiting for that, I asked her about a medication that would help with the motility of my esophagus. Since it was an anti-anxiety medication, she told me to stop the Ativan and start it instead. I was skeptical to just come off the Ativan, but she said it would be fine. In two days, I felt like I was losing my mind and was in horrific pain. I called the doctor's office, but she wasn't working that day or the weekend. I waited another day and ended up in the emergency room. They gave me more Ativan. I called and called my doctor that next week, but they said I would have to make an appointment and it would be a while before I could get in. This is where my life took a turn. I ended up doing a small taper on my own for a week, thinking that would be enough, since I've never experienced anything like this and I didn't know anything about these pills. I had heard about Xanax and Valium, and never touched the stuff. I hardly took pain meds if prescribed because they made me so sick, and I never liked the feeling they gave me. So now I finish my taper and feel all right. Three days later, I call my mom to take me to the emergency room again because I am losing it and in awful pain all over my body. They say I was in a state of psychosis. They even did a CT scan of my brain and a neurological exam. The psychiatric nurse came to my room and told me that I had been off of Ativan this long and to just keep going. Little did I know that it takes months, if not years, to taper from these drugs. I wasn't warned about this, and nobody I have talked to in the medical profession seemed to know about it either. 
The nurse even told me she didn't believe I had anything in my throat, preventing me from eating. She assumed, since I lost weight, that I was anorexic. And so did many other people. Most everyone assumed I was just stressed because of the COVID outbreak. The ER doctor there told my mom to let me take the Ativan as prescribed. I finally realized my body was dependent on these pills, but read you can recover in a few weeks. I threw the pills out and decided to do what the psychiatric nurse said and just stop taking them. Big mistake. After a couple of weeks of feeling crazy, I started feeling somewhat better. Or so I thought. It was time to go back to work, but I was still having issues with my throat being sore, and I had this awful headache in my sinuses, along with pressure and pain in my ears. I went to an urgent care in Tulsa and was given antibiotics, and a steroid shot this time because the doctor told me it should be easier on my stomach. This set off everything all over again, and worse. My heart was racing and pounding out of my chest. My reflux was awful. I was having muscle spasms and twitches, waking up with my heart racing in the middle of the night, head pain, etc. I assumed it was just a steroid and gave it a week or two to calm down. I was supposed to have a scope done, but my heart was racing so much that I was worried and they rescheduled it. I went to the ER a couple of times again, but they couldn't see anything life-threatening. I called my doctor and she did an EKG and was going to do a Holter monitor but couldn't get it for a while so I went to another doctor. He got me on a Holter monitor and set me up with a cardiologist. He didn't think any of this was related to the Ativan or steroids. I was on the monitor for three days. The third day, I took it off as directed. That night, I had a friend over and ended up having an awful panic attack that I seriously thought was a heart attack. My heart rate went up to 160. My whole throat and mouth was dry. My arm was jerking. I could hardly speak. My blood pressure was elevated. My friend called an ambulance. They tried to calm me down, but it wouldn't stop. So they took me to the ER. I told him to tell my kids I loved them because... I thought I was dying. They gave me nitroglycerin and baby aspirin in the ambulance. Finally, it calmed down at the ER. I still was having heart palpitations, though, and a pounding heart along with the other symptoms. That next weekend, I was feeling worse and my head was hurting bad. I thought there had to be something seriously wrong with me. I was never told that the first episode in the ER was a panic attack. I went in and they gave me an EKG, and a nurse was giving me a headache cocktail. Upon administering it, my heart rate jumped up to 160, my whole body was stiff, my throat went dry, I could hardly talk, and my arm was jerking again. They had me do a CT scan to check for a pulmonary embolism. I couldn't even get out of bed to get onto the other bed. I couldn't stand at all. The radiologist had to transfer me over. 
my arm would not stop twitching, so I couldn't get into the CT machine, and she acted very irritated with me. I was taken to my room, and the nurse I had was so hateful, and she was yelling at me to stop moving my arm, but I had no control over it. The doctor came in and said I had a panic attack, and that everything looked normal. He was sending me home with an antihistamine to take to calm down. At this point, I was so lost and had no idea what was going on. I started to believe everyone when they said it was my anxiety. I canceled the appointment with the cardiologist and went to a psychiatrist. She didn't believe any of this was due to the Ativan and said my withdrawal should only last two weeks. She doubled my dose on Zoloft, gave me more of the antihistamine, and gave me beta blockers to take three times a day, 20 milligrams. Luckily, I investigated the beta blockers and found they can lower blood pressure and can affect asthma, so I never took them like she prescribed. She never even mentioned my asthma. I started to develop a bad reaction to the Zoloft and had to stop taking it. Something you're not supposed to do, but it was making my anxiety worse and causing me to shake. I started taking half of the beta blocker occasionally, and it seemed to help. But one day I took it with the antihistamine at work and got super dizzy. My blood pressure went from 130 over 80 to 95 over 70 within seconds. I had to leave work. I've never missed work before. I went to the cardiologist and was shown where my heart rate went from 60 to 152 while on the Holter monitor. I had done nothing but stay at home. No physical exercise whatsoever because I couldn't tolerate it. I told him I think it was my anxiety. We did an echo and it all came back normal. I was given another beta blocker that wouldn't interfere with my asthma. It's crazy to think that I never had any heart issues before all of this. I made it through the next couple of months somehow, feeling like a different human, but was getting somewhat better. I stopped having the muscle jerks at night and waking up in a panic. My heart would race at various times of the day for no reason, but I was sticking it out with no medication. I, I kept having trouble breathing and was having this at the same time as the heart palpitations. And when the heart racing started, I assumed it was all linked. I, I kept having problems with it and felt air hunger just sitting down. I talked to my doctor, therapist, and several other people about it. And they all said it was my anxiety. And I just believed them. So I made an even worse decision and decided to start Paxil, another antidepressant medication. It made me have the muscle jerks again, made my heart rate go up to 160 at one point and then drop down to 39. Horrible nausea that made me lose even more weight. At this time, I'm down to 97 pounds. I was 112 before all of this started. The pain and tension in my muscles and ribs landed me in the ER 
once again. It was unbearable. I had to stop the medication. I felt really foggy. My heart rate was stabilizing, but still racing in the mornings, though the nightmares I was having stopped. I started feeling better again. Now four weeks out, the muscle jerks are awful at night, and I can hardly sleep. I'm having headaches, dizziness, hot flashes, just don't feel like myself. Awful heartburn and stomach pain, to where I still can't hardly eat. I'm down to 96 pounds. Heart racing and palpitations are worse. Sensitive to light, smells, and sounds. It, it feels like I'm starting all over. I've researched everything and have found that all of this goes back to the Ativan. Even the breathing issues. It shocked my central nervous system to a point that I can't handle any psychiatric medications without major problems. It just exacerbates everything. It could take months or years for me to be normal again. Who knows what damage the Paxil did by starting and stopping it. If only I could have found one person to believe me. One professional who knew anything about what these drugs can do to you and could have prevented this hell I am going through. I did talk to the psychiatrist who put me on Paxil, and she said that there's no way it could have affected me the way it did. She told me to stop it and start Prozac, but I'm done with these medications. Right now, I'm just trying to survive the best I can. I have my mom who has been there for me, and I think she finally believes me. I have a couple of friends that do as well, but I don't think they fully understand what it's like. You really can't understand unless you go through it yourself. I'm trying to hold on to hope that this will get better eventually. It's, it's so hard when every single bodily function is affected by these drugs. I'm trying to work at least one to two days a week, but it is so difficult. Everything is a hundred times harder than it was before all this started. I, I look at people and wish I could be normal again. I wish I could be me again. There are people out there that say this is harder than going through cancer or opiate withdrawal. I don't compare myself to those people at all, but that gives you a clue as to how horrific this is. I will continue to educate people on the dangers of benzodiazepines and antidepressants. Yes, they are needed in some instances and can save lives. But there's so many horror stories. And if you ever want to come off of them, you might end up in the hell I'm living in now. I sure hope other people investigate the drugs they put into their bodies more and don't just take the word from a doctor or psychiatrist. Please, listen to your body and to yourself, because nobody knows you like you do. If anyone has been through this or knows anyone going through this, I believe you. We will heal. Jody. I, I think I needed a minute after that one. 
Um, <clears throat> I was gonna edit Jody's story down for time before I shared it here, but I, I couldn't find anything to remove. Her story deserves to be heard. For her, for those who find a connection with her struggles, and as a cautionary tale to those who might be considering long-term benzo use. I wish to hell no one ever had to go through this again. Especially the confusion, isolation, and disbelief we so often receive from the medical community. Jody's struggles with finding medical support is one of the more common running threads on this podcast. I've been there. Many of you have been there. And it's a shortcoming that we are doing our best to try and remedy. Unfortunately, educating the medical community, much like benzo withdrawal, takes time. And thousands of people are unfortunately going to continue to suffer until we get this done. The recent FDA warning is an excellent first step and in the right direction, but we need more. And many good people are working on that. The good news in all this is in her ending. The final words of her story are, we will heal. And I agree with her entirely. As bad as things look, we need to remind ourselves that our bodies are amazing wonders of engineering and can recover from just about anything. We do heal from this even if it takes a long time. Thank you, Jody, for sharing your story with us. I know that wasn't easy. And I wish you health, healing, and peace from the bottom of my heart. Take care of yourself, please. And please don't forget to send us your stories at easinganxiety.com feedback so we can share them on the podcast and on our website, too. Now, let's move on to our feature. Abdominal distension, aching joints, agitation, aggressiveness, air hunger, achesia, allergic reactions, apathy, blurred vision, brain fog, breathlessness, chemical sensitivities, chest tightness, claustrophobia, confusion, crying spells, cramping of the muscles, dehydration, delirium, dental pain, depression, diarrhea, difficulty swallowing, disorientation, dizziness, emotional blunting, epileptic fits, exhaustion, facial numbness, fear, fingernail problems, flashbacks, flushing, gastritis, hair changes, hallucinations, heart palpitations, hyperactivity, hypersensitivity to light, sound, and all types of stimuli, irritable bowel syndrome, indigestion, insomnia, intrusive thoughts, jaw tension, jumpiness, loss of concentration, loss of balance, loss of control and movement, memory problems, menstrual problems, muscle aches, spasms, weakness, nausea, nightmares, OCD, panic attacks, paresthesia, perception distortion, PTSD, racing thoughts, Restless legs, skin burning, scalp pain, speech difficulties, tachycardia, teeth pain, tremor, urinary problems, vertigo, visual disturbances, vomiting, weakness, weight gain, weight loss. 
That was only a small percentage of the withdrawal symptoms listed on Benzodiazepine Information Coalition's webpage, Benzodiazepine Withdrawal and Post-Withdrawal Symptoms. The truth is, the list is almost endless. And we're going to talk about that today. Our feature today is on benzo symptoms and the struggle we all face in dealing with our symptoms, knowing what is a symptom and what is not, and how to push through all the confusion and fear. Today's topic was suggested by one of our listeners. Now, I don't have permission to share his name here, so we're just going to call him Robert. But I do want to share part of his email. Robert said, I wanted to drop a quick note and tell you thanks for all you do. I am struggling mightily right now and cannot convince myself that my ever-changing symptoms are benzo-related. It just doesn't seem to be possible. My thoughts on this are due in part to doctors telling me it's not possible. I know you have touched on it, but maybe you could do a show about hypochondria and benzo withdrawal. Each day seems to be worse than the last, and I don't know what to do. I have headaches, persistent tinnitus, neck and back pain, and if that wasn't enough, I jerk horribly when drifting off to sleep. I have been in the fire service for 24 years and thought I had been through it all, until I jumped off clonazepam in June. I am hurting. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Robert, for sharing that message. You know, questioning our symptoms is at the core of the benzo withdrawal experience. We, we can go through so many symptoms during our tenure in withdrawal that it, that it seems endless. And the uncertainty causes us to question everything, even our own reality. As Jody said in her story that we shared earlier, at this point, I was so lost and had no idea what was going on. I started to believe everyone when they said it was just my anxiety. Like I said, we question everything. What is happening to us? Why did it happen? Is this pain a symptom? Is this ache, this confusion, this energy inside, this burning sensation? Whatever's going on, we're always questioning it because it doesn't seem to make sense. I go back to something that Shirley Trickett said in 1983 in the Journal of Royal College of General Practitioners. She said the following, Thousands of people could not possibly invent the bizarre symptoms caused by the therapeutic use of benzodiazepines and reactions to their withdrawal. Many users have to cope not only with a frightening range of symptoms, but also with the disbelief and hostility of their doctors and families. It is not uncommon for patients to be struck off if they continue to complain about withdrawal symptoms. Even when doctors are concerned and understanding about the problem, they often have little knowledge of withdrawal procedure and even less about treatment. This is a drug-induced disease, not drug abuse. That's a good one from Trickett, and I, I've shared that in my book and other places since then. I, I think Jody and Robert know exactly what she is talking about, as do many of you who are listening to this now. 
You know, one more quote here. Marion Brown, a psychotherapist working with the British Medical Association, elaborated, sharing the struggles many of us have experienced with the medical establishment. There is a pattern in patients' notes where doctors don't believe that their withdrawal symptoms, such as pain, fits, and psychiatric disorders, such as panic and obsessiveness, are associated with the drugs. All too often, doctors fail to take note of the fact they have been on benzodiazepines for years. <sighs> Sound familiar? <laughs> I thought so, me too. But, but where does that leave us? Those quotes are all well and good, but do any of them really help us who find ourselves in the middle of this mess? But let's take a look at the situation first. Let's, let's back up a bit. First off, most of us know that benzos affect the GABA receptors in our bodies. I mean, we, we learned that in Benzos 101, right? <laughs> At least most of us did. But that by no means is the only effect of these drugs on our bodies. In an article published in the Journal of Substance Abuse Treatment, Professor Ashton stated the following. Benzodiazepine actions are by no means confined to a particular neurotransmitter or brain pathway. The effects on our GABA receptors are just the one that we have studied the most and can see the effects of. Thus, we talk about it a lot. And it can be a significant factor, but there are other effects. And... I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. Anyway, here's the way I look at the whole thing. Those of us in benzo withdrawal feel more. More pain, more agitation, more restlessness, more emotion, more aches, spasms, anxiety, depression, hopelessness, and on, 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 on. But benzodependence has caused our central nervous systems to become hypersensitive and overreacts to everyday stimuli. You know, imagine a drinking one cup of coffee, but reacting like you drank 10. Or, or you go to a work party, which might induce mild anxiety in the average person. But for us, it feels like we're speaking in front of 100,000 people buck naked. Imagine being dog tired and wanting nothing more than relax or even sleep but the energy inside your body is running a marathon uphill against the wind. <laughs> Sounds fun, right? And sensitivity is just the tip of the iceberg. Add depersonalization, memory and cognitive dysfunction, muscle tightness and spasm, heart palpitations, phantom nerve sensations, chronic gastrointestinal distress, and you get the idea. Now, I realize that still doesn't answer the question. The key question you're probably asking right now, which is, but why? That's a really good question, and I have one simple answer. It's a layman's answer. I'm not a medical professional or anything of the sort, as I've said a thousand times on this podcast. But it's the one that made sense to me. You see, benzos damaged our nervous system. And our nervous system influences every aspect of our bodies. You want to move your leg and take a step? Your brain decides, part of your nervous system, and sends a message down your internal information superhighway, your nerves, part of your nervous system, until the message finally reaches the muscles in your leg. And once your leg hits the floor, 
it needs to send that message back to the brain through the nerves. And that system goes around and around and around over and over again. Your brain and nervous systems affect every part of your body. Your heart, lungs, ears, eyes, fingers, liver, stomach, colon, gallbladder, even your pinky toe on your left foot. If long-term use of a drug has negatively affected your nervous system, a nervous system that may take a long time to heal, then doesn't it make sense that the symptoms that could appear may appear in any form and in pretty much any part of your body, for the most part? That's the way I see it. Your nerves are the messengers. They're the ones that send the signals to our brains of pain and discomfort. And they're the ones who send messages to our body to move or shake or tremor or even have a seizure. And when those nerves get damaged, well, almost anything can happen. In my opinion, that's how it makes sense. Maybe it does for you. Maybe it doesn't. I get it. But let's move on to this other section. And that is the real question, which is, what can we do about it? What can we do about all these questions, about this fear, about this rumination, about the crazy thoughts and the symptoms and wondering if this is benzos and this is benzo, or this is something else or where it's coming from and all that, that cycle that we go through. Well, I'm going to explore five steps here that I think can help us with this insatiable fear. At least they helped me. I, I hope they can help you too. Number one, educate yourself. Learning about benzos and benzo withdrawal is probably the first step. And in fact, it's the first step many of us have taken to learn about what was really going on, figuring out what was causing all these symptoms for sometimes months or years. Finding that cause can be a revelation and can be wonderful. But that's just the first step because far too often, as we've heard today, the medical experts who are supposed to know these answers don't. You know, a great place to start is the Ashton Manual. Read it, know it, love it. This is the best single resource to help you with benzo withdrawal, hands down. Yes, that is my opinion, but it's also the right opinion, which is also, my opinion, <laughs> I could keep going on with this, as you can tell. It's an endless loop, so I'll stop now. It is my opinion, but it's an opinion held by many people in the Benzo community. Read the Ashton Manual, understand it, and know it. But it's also just the beginning. The internet is full of websites, YouTube videos, discussion groups, podcasts, all designed to help you learn about benzos. Learn about withdrawal and what you might be going through. But, but please, please be cautious. Too much information, especially the horror stories or quick cures that are put out there from less than reliable sources, can do more harm than good. Seek out information from quality, evidence-based sources. Many of these groups have solid medical backing, too. 
Just because some in the medical community are not aware of the complications of benzos doesn't mean that all doctors are that way. We know this. As many times as I hear someone say that they can't find a physician to help them with their withdrawal, I also hear from individuals who share the stories who have found a wonderful medical professional to work with. They are out there, and many of them advise and support quality benzo support organizations. The, the top two that come to my mind are the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices and Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. I, I frequently work with medical professionals within both organizations, and they get it. Some of them are survivors themselves, and they are helping us every way they can. Check out their links in the show notes if you want to learn more or in the resources section of our website. Number two, find a doctor who will work with you if possible. I do not recommend anyone go through benzo withdrawal without the supervision of a licensed physician. Yes, I do have to say that legally. And yes, I get some nasty emails because I constantly say that. But I also believe it. Finding a physician who will work with you on your withdrawal can be essential to success. This doesn't mean your doctor has to be benzo-wise. While that might help, I don't believe it should be the primary requirement. My doctor didn't believe I needed to withdraw, and yet he was perfect for me at the time. Because he listened. I believe the most essential quality in a physician for benzo withdrawal is one who will listen to you, believe you, and is willing to work with you towards the goal that you seek, which for many of us is to be benzo-free. Having a physician, GP, psychiatrist, nurse practitioner, PA, whatever, is important for a couple of reasons. One, and the most obvious one, you will need someone to prescribe the varying doses as you taper down from your medication. That's essential. And two, even more important in my opinion, you want someone to come to with your symptoms. That possibly endless parade of unknown symptoms. Which brings us to number three on our list. Eliminate other possibilities. It never hurts to get something checked out by the doc. I had seven EKGs during my withdrawal, in addition to numerous visits for dozens of other seemingly random ailments. If a symptom is keeping you up at night, if the anxiety worrying about it is causing your other symptoms to be more aggravated, if the symptoms might be something more severe like chest pain, breathing difficulties, or other possibly serious complications, please, Get them checked out. Once you are in the clear, you can rest assured that it's probably just the benzos. And everything can return back to normal and you feel ten times better, right? Right? Yeah, it doesn't usually quite work that way, but it's a start. <laughs> Which brings us to number four. Letting go. So, everything isn't back to normal like we thought. Our benzo-addled brains... Don't let things go that easily. We keep telling ourselves it can't be the benzos. This is too much. Nothing can cause this much distress and destruction. But as we talked about earlier, 
it does make some sense. Still, letting go of that overwhelming fear is hard, very hard. It often takes repeated self-talk, reminding yourself that you got it checked out, the test showed nothing else wrong, and that it is just benzo withdrawal. Does that work every time? Well, <laughs> do you think I would have had seven EKGs if that was the case? <laughs> no, it, it doesn't work every time. You have to keep at it, and slowly, it can make a difference. Number five, your body is healing. One of the best mantras I came across during my withdrawal to help me manage that fear I had of my vast parade of symptoms was that of healing. After all the research I did into the effect that benzos have on our GABA receptors, peripheral nervous system, mitochondria, or our body's system of homeostasis and its ability to self-correct, I learned a lot about our body's ability to heal. And as I looked more into this, I learned more about homeostasis. This is the process where the GABA receptors were initially down-regulated during benzo use, and is the same process that helps it return to normal functioning, a process I prefer to call healing. And that's when it hit me. All these symptoms, pains, aches, brain fog, energy bursts, etc., is actually part of the healing process. From day one of your taper, and for some even before that, your body is healing. It's trying to right itself after a long and arduous injury. And it needs your help. Seeing my symptoms as part of a healing process changed everything for me. It gave the symptoms a purpose. An ultimate goal, a goal that I can agree with and support. I started seeing my symptoms just as a sign of my healing. And that then became a common mantra throughout my journey. My body is healing. I would repeat this often, and it helped. Probably more than I even realized. Now, this is only one technique that can be useful to help let go of the worries of your symptoms. Cognitive behavioral therapy can also be very helpful. Other anxiety treatments, techniques, and tools can help. It's rarely one thing that helps you out of this. But finding what works for you is definitely worth the effort. Trust me. And that wraps up our feature. I, I hope... You enjoyed it. I hope I provided some information that helps. Let me know what you think. And if you have any ideas for future topics, please let me know on our comments or via our feedback form at easinganxiety.com feedback. And now before we get to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benson Free Podcast or of its host. 
Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at bedsofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place, where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to return to one of my favorites, listening meditation. The goal of this type of meditation is to focus on the sounds around you. Notice the sounds. Notice their texture, their timbre, their tone. No need to identify them or judge them. They are not good nor bad. They just are. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to listening. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. Listen to the sounds here on the podcast, or if you prefer... Turn down the podcast for a minute and listen to the sounds around you. No judgment whatsoever. Continue to do this for one minute.
next scheduled episode is episode 76, and it will be released February 1st. I wish you all a very happy new year. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.